0: It has been a bad week for cats and dogs it in, sure has. in apartments. Yes, it has. Cats and dogs are no longer raining in some <laughs> apartment blocks.
1: <laughs> That's dead right.
0: Yeah, and uh, so today we're going to be talking about the appeals that came through in New South Wales at the tribunal um, about the pet bylaws. We're going to talk to uh, Deb Francis, who runs a strata concierge business. Um, oh, fantastic. She's yeah, just, just to find out what's been going on with concierges and how they've been affected by the coronavirus. And we're going to talk about a couple of surveys that have come out about various things. I'm Jimmy Thompson.
1: And I'm Sue Williams.
0: And this is a flat chat rap. Mm-hmm. Sue? The cats and dogs, pets?
1: Yes, um, the the verdict has finally come in from the two appeals that were being heard at the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal, NCAT, mm-hmm. this week. They're two of the biggest apartment buildings in Sydney, the Horizon Building, uh-huh. um, the Harry Sider Building, very well known, and the Alarm Building in Kings Cross nearby. The, Alarm, the Horizon is over in Darlinghurst. Both of them have bylaws banning pets, and both of those bylaws were challenged by residents. Um, One in Horizon by a woman who has a dog, and one in Elan by a man who doesn't have a dog, but would like to have a dog. Um, And they originally won their first hearings. Mm. NCAT ruled that they they should be allowed to have animals, and that to ban them was unconscionable and inhumane, really. But both buildings then appealed the ruling, and the, the verdict came out. To say that yes, those bylaws stand. They're In fact, there was
0: a there was a third appeal, and this was slightly different. Again, this was somebody who'd lost her case originally at NCAT. So those two you just mentioned, they won their case, and and the the bylaws were overturned by the tribunal the first time round. There was a third case of a woman who'd gone to tribunal, and she'd lost. So all three appeals, they they put the the verdicts out at the same time because they're quite significant in whether or not you can have bylaws banning pets.
1: Sure. And it's interesting because those on the the side uh, of the bylaws remaining um, kind of pronounced it as a real victory for for democracy, um, for apartment buildings to make their own rulings and live by their own bylaws. And those who sadly have pets and wanted pets in those buildings are kind of saying it's just it's a terrible step backwards, especially at a time of COVID-19 when, you know, people are facing a lot of isolation and animals are, are shown to improve mental health and it's great companionship for people. So they still seem just as divided as they were before.
0: You do have to be able to have buildings where people who don't want to live with pets can live surely that has to be allowed.
1: Well, I think the first rulings that that were in favor of pets said that it's okay for smaller buildings to have bylaws against pets, but it's not okay for bigger buildings and it's a really difficult thing, isn't it because obviously we believe in democracy for apartment buildings and they should be able to have their own rules. I guess the question is when are those rules beneficial for the majority of people, and when are they really, really bad? for a minority of people.
0: But we've argued in the past to stray into the the area of short-term letting. We've always said, well, it's ridiculous where you've got a building that doesn't want short-term letting. And then one person comes in and says, well, I, I do want to let my apartment out as a holiday let. And we say, well, the majority says no, so, you know, go away.
1: Yeah, I kind of want it both ways now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. You know, in one of these cases, the bylaws were quite clear that there were no pets allowed, and the person decided, for whatever reason, that they would move their companion animal into the building. The other one was somebody testing the bylaws. And I 100% in favor of people doing that because communities change, communities evolve, and attitudes evolve. And you should test these things the worst argument ever in strata is well we've always done it this way
1: <laughs> well i guess it shows that maybe at the end of the day if you're in a building that has bylaws against pets and you really want them to have, to allow pets into a building the only way forward really from now on is to actually campaign in your building to persuade the majority of people to to accept pets to be on your side and then that's a much more robust democracy, I suppose.
0: Yeah, and that's fair enough. And if you're allowed to do that, of course, you do have buildings where you have the dug-in point of view that we don't want pets. We're in charge. We're the committee. We don't want pets. And we're going to stop you from communicating with other owners. I mean, once a bylaw's in place, you will find that committees will say, well, we don't want to give you the email addresses of everybody in the building because we know you're going to send material that we disagree with. So it can become quite contentious. But you're right. There should be the ability for people to say, well, let's reconsider this bylaw that was created 30 years ago. Let's let's have a look at it again.
1: That's right. Because when we talk about this being a victory for democracy, the trouble with a lot of strata democracies is they're not particularly very good democracies. Um We might have a number of people who control the proxies, Mm. a a huge number of proxies, and they could all be on the same side. So it's not a fair distribution of them. And we may have a big number of people who own and rent out and don't really pay much attention to the running of the building. So they never attend meetings and they never cast their vote. And they can be really hard to get in touch with as well. Mm. So the difficulty is you're having to persuade a number of people who are just not there or just not interested or not prepared to be engaged. We both know one person who, when he was approached by the pro-PEC group, said, oh, yes, yes, I'll be voting with you. And when he was approached by the anti-PEC group, said, oh, yes, yes, I'll be voting with you. (laughs) And so that becomes a really hard thing, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. And the other thing about this is it's really reinforced the idea that bylaws have power, that you are able to create a bylaw, you know, within the certain parameters about the running of your building and part of that verdict that was that came out last week the member the senior member actually the president of the tribunal said just because a bylaw exists to control behavior doesn't mean that it's oppressive or harsh
1: mm.
0: it might not please everybody and some people might not like it but as long as it's fair and reasonable within certain parameters then it can stand and and i'm sure there were a lot of people who were thinking, oh, we're not allowed to have air conditioning in our apartment, but I'm going to go and challenge that because it's harsh and oppressive. Well, they will not be doing that now because, you know, that precedent has been set. And, you know, precedents at the lowest level of a tribunal don't really exist. You know, people will refer to them, but they have very Mm. little legal standing. But once you've gone up to the appeals level they're almost the strength of a court decision not quite but almost
1: yeah but it'll be interesting to see if these decisions do hold because um the woman who does have the dog immediately said that she was going to appeal so she will be going to the court of appeal um so if she does that and she may well have legal advice telling her not to because it is an it's already proved a really expensive process. Mm. Um, they reckon it's cost uh, about a quarter of a million dollars so far, yeah. which is incredible. We'll see what happens with that, you know, mm. with another appeal. and then Is it the Court of Appeal? It is.
0: It's not the Supreme Court.
1: No, it's the Court of Appeal because the president of, as you said, the president was a member there, the deputy president was a member there. So because of their presence, it goes to, to It's gone court. to a
0: higher level. Mm. Ah, right. Wow. That makes it all very serious. Okay. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Deb Francis, who runs a concierge business. Which uh, and these people are—we keep hearing about people on the front line. Um, well, these people are almost literally on the front line of apartment living, and they're the people who have to deal with all the foibles in our lives. That's after this. So once again, we have a special guest and we are talking to that special guest via Skype, which may account for certain differences in the audio quality. Hello, Deb. How are you?
2: I'm very good. Thank you, Jimmy.
0: Right. And I'm here with Sue.
2: Hi, Deb. Hello there, Sue. How are you doing? Great, thanks.
0: So uh, let's just get things off on the right foot. What's the name of your company and what is your role in it?
2: Uh, my company is called A Class Concierge, and I'm the director of the company.
1: Great, and how many employees do you have?
2: Uh, 42 at the moment. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Yes, but a lot of them are casuals as well because it's around the clock business 24 hours. Day. So some people only want weekend work and usually the full-time permanence on Monday to Friday, the day shift. Right.
0: Fantastic.
2: So, so you offer the concierge service and how many
1: buildings do you service currently? At the moment, seven. And they're all quite big buildings, aren't they?
2: Um, well, actually, well, we, have, we have one that is not big. Um, there's only 55 apartments. That's an exclusive complex and, and it's actually our busiest um, right okay
0: <laughs> yeah. In the wake of the coronavirus has the service changed
2: Well in so far as we've had to put in a lot stricter processes to handle um the, you know social distancing and the packages um, and hygiene is really, really, we've upped the ante on that and um, we were pretty fast on doing that from the day dot that we heard about it, um, probably mm. because I i used to work in pathology, so I,
0: oh, right. I, yeah,
2: and when I started to implement some of the procedures, everyone thought, oh, Deborah, you're a little bit over the top, but as it turned out, it was pretty good and we haven't had one staff touch wood off sick or anything, it's just been... Really, really, we've been pretty lucky, very good all practising. But, yes, we have had to um, change our procedures around on just a few things and, and it's working very well.
1: You've had hand sanitizers around and you've encouraged your staff to use them and they're encouraging um, building residents to use
2: them, I assume. And what's the thing with packages? What are you doing differently with packages? We have a table set up away from the concierge desk where because the, there's a lot of food deliveries now because people are not going out oh, to risk. yeah. So we have a table set up where the couriers um, will put their items straight onto the table then we will call the resident and the resident will come down to collect it or the concierge will take the food item and put it outside the door for the resident and what we have then is um you know some gloves and then the gloves are disposed of and that just stops other outsiders going up and down up and down in our lifts minimizes you know outside public coming into the building
0: yeah, that's a, a great of
1: service. I suppose the only the only better thing you could do is actually heat some of these meals up in the microwave and then just serve them to the residents. That would be nice.
2: <laughs> We could also make some coffees for them, have a <laughs> cafe machine. <Yeah. laughs> that would be helpful.
0: Um, have any buildings cut back on their services?
2: No, um, no, they haven't cut back. In actual fact, they've really needed the services a little bit more now than ever, particularly anyone that was confined to the... Um, quarantine of the apartment because in the early days we had people coming back from the lunar festivals and uh, in some of the buildings yes and when that was happening that was um we weren't getting a lot of information from the health department then and uh, early days and it was a bit iffy with what they had to do and what the restrictions were so um we had more duties more than ever then to make sure that the building was kept as safe as possible so no we've actually been needed a lot more.
1: And presumably if there are some older residents in the building who are a little bit more nervous
2: about going out you might kind of keep an eye on them perhaps? Absolutely we had a plan put in place if the whole building had to go into lockdown and some ideas and uh, thankfully we haven't had to use any of that. Again, they probably thought I was a little bit over the top but I always think we'll better err on the side of caution and be prepared. Yes, and we'd have um, some of our people, you know, our concierge will grab a prescription on the way to work for somebody the next shift or we'd phone in the next concierge coming and saying, grab a couple of flat whites on your way for Mrs. So-and-so who's (laughs) not well, she's got a, you know, a few flu symptoms and we just put them outside the door. We've had situations like that, even, you know, as a matter of just ordinary daily life mm. with concerned residents long before the coronavirus, people that get sick for various reasons and family members will ring and, Have the police come, or get us to go up and have a check, and sometimes it's not very pleasant. And um, we've had some sad situations, so it's Mm. just—I suppose that's what it's like. We're the butler of the house, and Mm. you see people when they're in all their, you know, know, in with their with their their daily lives.
0: Mm. There's so many things you just don't see. You pretend not to see. Um, What's the strangest request any of your concierges have had?
2: Well, the strangest. Well, I've had quite a few interesting ones. Or I wouldn't call them strange, but Go uh, on. strange. Well, one one Easter time, one of the lovely old ladies on the committee called the concierge up, and she was having a very very um, fancy dinner party. Mm-hmm. And she said, I need some help. And up went the concierge. She had live crabs, oh, and she God. said, I want to know how to kill them and cook them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and she was deadly serious and the guests were coming and she was in a real titter. and there's these huge, great big crabs that she had sent um, freighted down from somewhere and so ended up, the concierge said, I haven't got the heart to do anything with them and Googled and her grandson followed the Google instructions on how to cook. (laughs) That sounds like Um, an excellent compromise. Oh yes. Any other weird requests? Well, we've not actually requests. We've had weird situations. Something starts and then it sets a precedent. We had one little fellow that used to get dropped off. Once he got dropped off early to the concierge because um, his parents were held up at work. And right. then it ended up that he ended up every afternoon from about three thirty till seven o'clock. We babysit him in our office with afternoon tea. <laughs> then it became that how come he hasn't done his homework?
0: Right. You
2: know, well, why hasn't he done his homework? So and that went on for about a good year. Wow! So every yeah, we were babysitting and making sure this little fellow did his homework, and it just got into a pattern. So. Once you start something, it's hard
0: to stop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things we're noticing, um, not just uh, in our building, but actually in our own apartment, is that uh, people can get a wee bit fractious sometimes because of being stuck at home all the time. Are, Are your concierges noticing a certain rise in the level of irritability? I'm certainly no, noticing a rise in the level of irritability in the person looking at me just now.
2: Going. No, um, I can't say so. No, not at all. I think, um, people, in actual fact, we've had certain party groups that aren't partying as much, and they're a lot calmer. And um, right. we notice a lot more cooking and baking and things going on. No, I really can't say that it's been. Uh, detrimental to people being irritable. In fact, people seem a little bit more homey. Mm. That's good. And
1: have any of your concierge been called into a bacon emergency, you know, when something's going wrong and a resident says, oh, please help me, I just don't know what to do?
2: Oh, look, that happens all the time. I (laughs) from... day one um you know we've had residents all sorts of terrible situations where we've had to call ambulance or you know police with all sorts of things that go on from we have um people people pass away and the concierge are there to let the ambulances in and out and you know they're people that they've known for many years in the building it's some um, who become sort of part of the family and see what goes on in their lives and it's not always happy or funny and um you know, mm. all sorts of situations and it's just, just life, 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 a little village, you know, a little high rise village. Sure.
0: I, I think I can tell you some areas in which your concierges are in danger. And that is everybody seems to be baking bread and making cakes and biscuits. And of course, you know, you look at the recipes online and you got two people in an apartment and they're baking enough biscuits for 20. I've seen this myself. Concierge is getting absolutely laden with <laughs> produce.
2: <laughs> it is absolutely true. I have one head concierge and um, we have a dear lady that loves to cook and her husband passed away and she will come down every day with a silver tray, the silver teapot and everything for this particular head concierge.
0: Wow. Well, he was
2: putting wow. on so much weight and he would go home at night and, and his wife was said, look, you never want to eat my cooking anymore. He would get the, the most beautiful breakfast and lunch. Well, he was putting on so much weight that he ended up joining a gym and he goes to the gym straight after work every afternoon and he is looking amazing and he's mm. doing the gym. Annie has these wonderful, wonderful healthy home cooked breakfasts and lunch by one of these dear residents.
1: Fabulous. Best of all.
2: Yeah. One of our residents um, on the committee used to take out the hot scones to the homeless people around the building. And they'd all gather around. But then other people in the building didn't like that. They said, you're encouraging the homeless people. And she said, I don't care. This is scone and teed afternoon. And they'd all be there with <laughs> two and <grams. laughs> So you're right. People do like to cook and feed people, yes.
0: They do, yeah.
2: And do you think concierge
1: services are becoming more popular? Are more buildings trying to, to have concierges?
2: I do believe in the more affluent buildings, particularly where there's a lot of apartments, uh, I, I think it'd be a bit chaotic not to have a concierge. Mm. Because you can't really rely on every resident to always do the right thing. And, I mean, you quickly need to get on to illegal parking and people that throw rubbish anywhere in the garbage room mm. and things like that. And the concierges can keep on tap of that. And that makes lifestyle a lot more pleasant for everybody to just... You know, direct people in the right way every now and again, and keep be able to be a watchdog for it and I
1: know they can also help create a real sense of community, can't they? I believe so, yes, I know our concierge always gives um the dogs who come in, gives them treats and things and You know, they're so popular with the dogs now. They're just um, really loved.
2: Yes, it makes a difference, um, the pet-friendly buildings, and that's another reason if you didn't have the concierge like a a doggies barking after hours, you need somebody there to be able to monitor and um, organise and follow up on any issues because that can be very annoying to hear a little yappy dog all the time, and thankfully most of the owners... And the residents in our buildings are very mindful and caring about their neighbours. So Mm. we don't seem to have many problems at all.
0: The one thing we haven't touched on is uh, more people working from home. I mean, has that affected your concierge services that you've noticed?
2: Um, No, not really at all. Not at all. Right.
0: Well... I'm glad I forgot to ask that question.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all. And actually probably um, it's better the concierge likes to see, you know, say hello and have a little chat to people passing by the desk and that's you know, good.
1: Yeah, because I think a lot of people work from home you know, and they're not used to it. They can get a little bit lonely. So it's fantastic having a concierge around. I don't know how the concierge mind people popping down and having a long chat to them. I yeah. don't know how they feel <laughs> about it, but...
2: For other people, it's a it's
0: a great resource. Deb, thanks very much for talking to us today. That's great. It's good to get an insight my, into your services.
2: My pleasure, Jimmy and Sue.
0: Fantastic. Right.
2: Thanks so much, Deb. And happy we'll talk happy. to you
0: again soon. I'm sure.
2: All right. Cheerio.
0: Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Interesting stuff.
1: Mm, especially that crab. I wouldn't have known what to have done with a crab like that.
0: I couldn't. I couldn't help but. Think of the Woody Allen film um, Annie Hall, where they get two lobsters and <laughs> they're chasing them across <laughs> the kitchen floor. Probably before your time, so Absolutely. But <laughs> and it was also the thing of having to deal with, you know, unfortunately, with um, death in the the mm. building. I mean, if there's nobody else there, the concierge is the the person who uh, who has to knock on the door and then possibly call the locksmith, or call the family, call the police, whatever. Mm. Um, it was interesting. In our building just last week, a uh, couple of people went to the concierge and said, have you seen so-and-so? We haven't seen him around. We always see him. It's, and the concierge went and knocked on the door and and they couldn't get any response and called the police. And the police came to check that the, the person was okay. And they were okay, but you know, they'd maybe been working late or whatever. But uh, it's nice that not just that there's a sense of community and people concerned for each other, but there's yeah. a point of contact.
1: Sure, absolutely. And that,
0: so often in buildings, I mean, it's, we're talking about larger buildings with the resources to have them, but having a concierge at the front of your building just makes such a difference. Mm. It's not cheap, and neither should it be, but it makes a big difference to the community. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a couple of surveys that have come out About, um, that directly affect apartment living. That's after this. A couple of surveys came out this week. One of them is about the rebound of Airbnb globally. Oh,
1: really? Because they've had a very tough time during coronavirus. Yeah, but they're
0: coming back with a vengeance. Are they? And Australia is leading the way. Australia. Apparently, yeah. Well, everybody's into curves these days. So it's the upward curve in uh, our bookings in between last month and this month have basically doubled. Um, wow.
1: Is that New South Wales or Australia generally? That's Australia
0: generally. Mm. And that's before even the restrictions, travel restrictions have been lifted. Mm. And it doesn't. the survey doesn't say when the bookings are for, just mm. when they were made. So some people will be jumping in there and, and thinking, well... As soon as Queensland opens its borders, in September, uh, which is what they're still saying at the moment. uh, Although that could change. We want to be up there. We want to be up to Noosa and Byron. Oh, no, Byron isn't in Queensland. No. (laughs)
1: Well, that's a fantastic thing because it shows real optimism in the future, doesn't it? Really, and that we're all ready to get back out and go there, go to different places in Australia as because, we should. Yeah, because we should be discovering our own country before we discover elsewhere. But at the same time, I'm a little bit concerned that Airbnb seems to be getting so much of the benefit. What about the hotel and motel industry and the?
0: Aren't they full of tourists who come back from and homeless overseas? people? <laughs> and homeless people? No, no they're that, not. That, that's only a Seriously, tiny percentage. Yeah. But it
1: seems a shame if they're going to be missing out on this domestic tourism wave.
0: And the the thing that really shocked me just today, um, the New South Wales tourism minister, Stuart Ayres, he or they announced this big programme to get people back out into regional New South Wales and trying to entice people over the border from Victoria to come and visit some of the fabulous places that we have. From Byron Bay, which is in New South Wales, (laughs) all down the south coast, which was ravaged by the fires and things. Mm. So, you know, when the tourism opens again, when travel opens up again, he wants them coming here. But, one of the big attractions to Victorians, he's saying, and other people in New South Wales, is Sydney. So you click on the link for Sydney, and guess what you get? Stays Apartments.
1: Wow.
0: Just apartment after apartment after apartment, and you're going, really? (laughs)
1: Mm, You'd think the tourism industry would have something to say about that. Absolutely.
0: I think the the hotel, they have, Mm. you know, if you look at um, Sydney generally, uh, or or New South Wales generally, they have a lot of Qantas hotels.
1: Mm. Well, you book through Qantas and get frequent flyer points.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But no, there's just pages and pages and pages of apartments, and most of which, of course, are in the CBD and and down in Bondi places like that, you think, wow, that didn't last long. they're, no, they're back.
1: I'd much rather see our hotels and motels really supported because they've taken a big hit. Yeah,
0: and that's that. Stays or um, home away, as they're also called. Mm. That's not Airbnb, so there must be a whole other raft of these out there. But for some reason, the New South Wales government seems to have linked up with Stays, and uh, so yeah, mm. coming to an apartment near you. Oh, soon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other big survey that came out this week, it's more of a, a an academic report, really. It was into low income families and, and their relationship with apartment living. And it's a whole bunch of uni- University of New South Wales, Sydney University, MIT in Melbourne and University of Western Sydney, I think. They come under the umbrella of AHURI, Ahuri I call them, AHURI they've done this survey and they're basically saying that low income people, low income families are overrepresented in apartments. In terms of as a percentage of the population, they're a much larger percentage of apartment residents. And the other thing that they point out is that they are much less likely to know that they have rights as well as responsibilities, um, that they can get things changed when they're in These apartments, presumably most of them will be tenants and they don't realise that they can get their landlords to make the owner's corporation change the way they do things. It's that real disconnect.
1: And that's a real problem because when you have low-income families living in strata, they tend to be in low-income areas. So maybe nearly the whole building will be those low-income people whereas the high-income people who know their rights and are articulate and can argue for them, yeah, they're going to be in the city centres or to be in wealthier areas. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no equal distribution between those two groups in no. apartment
0: buildings. And tenants suffer because of the... It's a group of people that I am constantly having a go at, and that's rental agents. And a number of stories of people come to the Flat Chat website Flat-chat.com.au. Mm-hmm. Come to the Flat Chat website and say, "I've had this problem in my building. I went to my rental agent. The rental agent said there's nothing that can be done." Oh yeah. And then you go. You have to say, "Well, no." The rental agent. What the rental agent really means is they can't be bothered. Yeah. They don't want to trouble the landlord. The landlord thinks that rental agents great because they never hear anything from them, and they're tough enough to make sure their rent's always paid on time.
1: Which is ridiculous because the apartment can be slowly going to rack and ruin because it's not being properly maintained. Exactly. And a
0: lot of landlords would be very happy to hear from, well, not exactly happy, but they'd be content to hear from their tenants that things in the building are not as they should be because then they can get them fixed. Mm. But you've got these people in the middle who are saying, look, everything's fine to the landlords and then saying to the tenants, there's nothing can be done. And both of these things are not always true. So, yeah, so interesting. We've got links to those, all those things on the FlatChat website, so you can follow them up and read all about them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting when we look at apartments, we, we always talk so much about, you know, good apartments and, and great cultures within apartments. And
0: concierges.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and you kind of forget that in the old days, apartments were seen as second class homes for people who couldn't afford anything better. And it, sadly, that number of people is still kind of there, probably in apartments that aren't so nice.
0: There's a real division in apartment living. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, in in the city centres and the the fringe, of of the the city centres, really nice apartment buildings, well looked after, well managed. I mean, some of them for some of them it's a struggle, but you know, really big apartment blocks in near the city centres do tend to suffer worse. things like overcrowding but that's a whole other issue we forget that out in the suburbs there are apartment blocks there which are neglected not just the apartment blocks in themselves but ignored by politicians they don't really consider them significant in their areas and and they they lose out you know And, and it is a double standard it's like in in Melbourne you know the double standard there is that in posh apartment blocks they don't have a problem with Airbnb because they can keep them out. Mm. But ordinary people, and I would include ourselves as ordinary people, if we were living in Melbourne, we would have a real problem um, trying to restrict things. Although I did hear a really funny idea the other day. I'm not going to name the building, but they've had a problem because they have a really nice building and fantastic facilities and a terrific gym. And they've just brought in a bylaw that says you can't use the gym unless you've had an induction course, right? Oh, so, okay. So, so over a course of a week or two weeks, they, they're saying to everybody who lives in the building or who is resident in the building during that period, come on down. If you want to use the gym, come on down. We've got trainers here. They will show you how to use the machinery safety, safely. Mm-hmm. And then you are allowed to use the gym after that. If you don't do the induction course, you can't use the gym because it's a health and safety issue. Wow. So, then... Can they do that? And then they're saying to the people who rent their apartments on short-term letting, yeah, your people can come and and use the gym once they have done the induction course, but for a one-off induction course, it's $100 or something
1: like that. (laughs) And presumably, if the induction course is only being held for that two weeks... Only their first kind of couple of guests are going to be allowed to use
0: it. Yeah, and after that, they have to pay individually. So the the host would have to say, yeah, we do have a gym, but if you want to use it, I don't know what the the figure is, but let's say $50. If you want to use the gym, it's going to cost you another $50 and you have to do the induction course. And of course, you're only going to be here for three days. So (laughs) no, you can't use the gym.
1: That's very funny. And has it been done just to get rid of the... Totally. Oh, well, no. What a clever ploy. Of course,
0: they would argue in court that that it wasn't totally for that reason. (laughs) Right. All right. When we come back, it will be our Hey Martha's for the week. That's after this. And we're back. So what has caught your eye this week, Sue?
1: Well, I found it really interesting going into town how many people there are out and about. The mm, shops are busy. Yep. I couldn't get a seat in my favorite cafe. What? <laughs> it was so busy. Well, you know, there were far fewer tables oh, there true, as well and true. fewer chairs. Um but yeah, it just feels like the whole well, the whole of Sydney is waking up gradually and, yes. and coming out. And talking to um some retail store managers, they were saying that um, foot traffic is now hit eighty percent of what it was this time last year. You know, in the wow. normal year. Right. So that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah, really? people,
0: people just can't wait to get out. Yeah, I and know. they're
1: they're flooding back into stores and buying loads of homewares and better TVs, I guess, yeah. in preparation in case there is a second wave, perhaps.
0: <laughs> well, perhaps because um, and then that second wave is a concern because. I'm noticing out in the street, there are no more people wearing masks than no, before. No, People have kind of assuming, look, we're past the worst. We've looked after ourselves. We've isolated. So I guess if there is going to be a second wave, this is where it's all going to come from.
1: Mm, maybe perhaps. It's fascinating, too, because, I mean, online shopping has done really, really well during the lockdown. For obvious reasons, but now it seems that people are dashing back to brick and mortar stores because they just really want the experience of being with other people and mm. actually shopping and, and looking at goods and touching and feeling them and, and trying them on and seeing what it's like. And I, yeah. I just think that's a really encouraging sign.
0: Now, who was it we were reading about that they um, they say that if you've tried something on, they will isolate the garment for 24 hours after you've tried it on
1: yes but that's the only one store that I've ever heard that happening everybody else seems to be just you try stuff off who, who and put it back I? again I can't no, remember
0: right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> obviously yeah um it would be the the store with the long queue at the changing room I'm guessing <laughs> yeah. um my Hay Martha for this week I just loved this story coming out of Japan that uh, Yamaha have invented this thing for your phone like all these sports are opening up around the world but they're behind closed doors and they've invented this thing for your phone where you press a button to cheer press a button to sing press a mm. button to to boo Yep. and however many people press that button at any time it gets broadcast into the stadium the players can wow. hear it fantastic yeah, so, so there'd
1: only be a tiny delay perhaps
0: I mean that's the whole idea. It's almost instantaneous. That's and you can fantastic. boo the referee. I don't know if they have <laughs> insulting songs like Who Who Ate All the Pies. That's a big favourite. But
1: <laughs> What a clever idea though.
0: Who ate all the sushi, I suppose if mm. it's Japanese. Um yeah, it's a great idea. I love it. I really like it. I mean better than the football team in South Korea who put inflatable sex dolls in their seats yes. to make it look like there was people in the crowd they got fined a lot of money for that
1: oh no they probably could do have done better with air dancers you know those um those blow up people the yeah huge people that kind of around the garages of petrol mm-hmm. stations of the nation i know
0: this because that's the name of my new novel yes yeah, that, that's true that's the first mention yes. first public mention of jimmy's new no- novel
1: but actually wouldn't a load of those look good in a stadium really
0: yeah yeah but they might put the players off a little bit.
1: Oh, maybe. Yeah, no, but, are, you know. Giant. But they
0: are giant things. It's mm. not like they're sort of normal size. But a good idea, Sue. I'll put thank it... You. I'll suggest it to the authorities. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Sue, for coming again. Great. And uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website flat-chat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again, talk to you again next week.